February marks Black History Month, a time to pay tribute to African-American men and women who have made significant contributions to society. In 1926, Carter G. Woodson, an American historian and journalist, founded the first Black History Week. Fifty years later, it evolved into an entire month to ensure Black students were aware of their heritage. This week, we'll bring stories of African Americans who have played pivotal roles in Delaware and beyond to light through Representative Namdi Chakwocha and Congresswoman Lisa Blunt Rochester, the first African American woman to represent Delaware in Congress. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, you're listening to Whip Count. I'd like to start this podcast off with Representative Namdi Chakocha, who is a Wilmingtonian for the most part. Tell us about what Black history means to you. Um, black history is, I mean, history itself. I mean, the, the, the world's history, as we all know, the, the oldest human remains were found in Africa. So, I mean, the, the world's history begins in Africa. So it's always been that sort of pride to me and just understanding that that sense of understanding purpose to to capture that history. And I mean, that sometimes that challenging ways to go through to capture that history, but always realizing that it's, it's something um, important, something that that's very valuable once you obtain it. Now, tell us you there's a quote that is very dear to your heart, and I don't want to butcher this person's name, but the quote is we should study history not for the sheer pleasure of doing so, but rather to derive lessons from it. Explain. And who was that Absolutely. from? Sheikh Sheik Anta Giap, who is one of the, the foremost Egyptologists and, and historians on the, the African continent. And I mean, his, his work is, is just paramount to African history. And just that sense of what it means why do we study histories i mean it's not just a, a task for the, the past it's, it's truly something uh, it's a it's a living history once you uh, obtain it then you there there is a, a duty and responsibility that that you have to do with it and that is to go forward not only to to understand but but to learn and try not to make the same mistakes as as those who who came before us now, growing up in Wilmington, I understand there are some organizations or places that are also very dear to you, like the Christina Cultural Arts Center uh, and a few others. Uh, let's start with the Christina Cultural Arts Center. Why why that place? I mean, it, it has always been a, a great, just a place. I mean, it is former leadership, uh, Mr. Mr. Joe Brumskill, the late Mr. Joe Brumskill, and then um, former leader, uh, Sister Ray Avery, under their leadership of the, that organization. I mean, since I was a child, it has always been just very deeply rooted in the arts, deeply rooted in community change and providing, especially our, our youth with, with an outlet, an outlet to understanding and expressing themselves, expressing their, their pain, their joy. And as an artist, it has always been a, uh, uh, just home has always been a place you can call home and gave us a sense of, of, of belonging, a sense of understanding and, and the connection to not only to our community, but to the greater world around us. 
And let's get into that a bit. You are an artist, a poet. It is Tell us how and when did you develop a love for poetry? Uh, uh, at a very young age, early mid early elementary school, uh, one of my, my favorite uncles, the late Anthony Smith, he um, encouraged my brother and I to just write and express ourselves. He, he loved poetry and introduced us to you know Langston Hughes and the Watts Prophets and the Last Poets and Gil Scott Heron and Maya Angelou, Sonia Sanchez and Nikki Giovanni, and so many writers who were writing about our culture and, and he just challenged us to to find our voice and as as that you know the music and times evolved and, and hip-hop became our 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 voice poetry was was hip-hop and, and hip-hop was poetry to us so it's always been that voice and a way to express ourselves and just to to speak about our, our community not only to our community but the, to those outside of our community yeah and you, when you mention us you're talking about your twin brother correct Correct. As that, I mean, as a, I mean, as a twin, I, I never separate myself. So yeah. it's always us. It's, it's you know, it, it's us. And I mean, I, thankfully, I I have a twin, and I, I don't know what it feels like to be an individual as as in uh-huh. that sense of because he's always there. We've always supported one another. Thank God for giving me that that blessing of always having that that support. Just it's almost feels like it's inside of you. It's just always there. Yeah. So anyone in Delaware that you would like to highlight for Black history? I mean, there there are definitely a a few. um, um, Some of my my mentors, uh, Baba Kamau Park, he um, in Gome, Baba Kamau in Gome, former Albert Parks, and a, a, a drummer, former leader, or I wouldn't say former leader, but the the leader of our Delaware African National Rites of Passage family, along with Mama Lena Harris, who led the female side of our, our African uh, Center Collective in Jamaa here in Wilmington, Delaware. There are just institutions as well, you know, just so many Kingswood Community Center, my, my father being a former director of the Jimmy Jenkins Community, uh, Jimmy Jenkins Senior Center there. And I mean, it's almost going down, but I guess just a shell of what it used to be. But the People's Settlement Organization on the east side of Wilmington, the, the Southbridge Neighborhood House, uh, J Street, Uncle J Street, Councilman Street, as people call him here in, in, in Delaware, and his work at, at the Hilltop Lutheran Center. It, it's just so many that, that have touched me growing up in, in their work. I can't forget uh, Bishop Aretha Morton, from Tabernacle um, Church and, and just that support that they've always given our community being very steadfast and just giving and, and my, my favorite of, of, of all my, my, my mentors growing up, uh, Miss B.B. Coker and, mm-hmm. and just her, her, her commitment for forever, you know, since I was a, a child seeing Miss B.B. just working frontline hands-on for, for the good of our communities for, for for our children to me that that's black history that's that living black history that our our students need to see you know history isn't just in the book it isn't just those names that that you read the Harriet Tubman's and and Martin Luther King it, it, it's people that you see every day who, who are truly living history and, and making history around you and making this world and your community a better place.
Now, I hate to put you on the spot, but I can't just have you mention that you're an artist and not have you drop something for those who are listening to this podcast. Is there any quick poem that you like to recite, uh, even if it's just one or two verses? I mean, sadly, one of our, our my big sister, uh, former city council president, Hanika Shabazz, her, her grandson was, was murdered a few a week week or so ago, a couple weeks ago, and my brother and I shared a poem for him. And I mean, that's the poem that, that is, is, and is just dealing with the violence in, in my city and how it hurts and a few um, lines from that poem. Again, I stand before my family with tears in my eyes. Society sees my hurt come out but it doesn't know or acts like it doesn't know how it got there. When you can smell our children's blood in the air, desensitized streets, senseless murder, families burdened with grief. When is enough, enough? We march over scorched earth. This world is empty without our hurt. The streets scream, this is life, this is life as if asking a question and making the statement all at once. The sky is falling and our children wonder why this is a place that is hard to live yet so easy to die. The place of this curse, the curse of this place, the hurt of this place where your fate is determined by your zip code and your race. We live with pain and regret in neighborhoods of neglect. Problems long ago identified yet still no solutions yet. We just flip the calendar, unresolved issues, followed by fatal miscues. It's me, the menace of the society. They place the blame on me, their shame on me. I am the pain of the past, the failure of the future. It seems that crime is ignored when I am both the color of the victim and the shooter. It's brother versus brother, a house divided. The mortality of one is sin to the other, encumbered by burdens beyond my control, Modern day lynchings, we hang from street poles. Despite the heat, the streets are cold and unnatural. Freezing times, seizing our hearts and our minds. Even the evenings, winds that blew that night sounded like, feel like homicide, genocide. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, as you were reciting that poem, it makes me. It brings up my next question, and and I, I would like to close out with with your answer. What keeps you motivated as a legislator? Just listening to you as you you recited that poem, uh, you're very passionate about the community. Uh, what keeps you motivated, and what would you like for the young people to take away from? your experiences in, in the city of Wilmington? I mean, it, it's simple. I, I want my children to experience what, what every other child has. And it's, it's, it's a very, it's very emotional. It's very hurtful. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not one that has to hide my emotions. I cry every day. It hurts when our children die. It, it, it bothers me that my children have to live in communities where they they fear for their life, where communities where they they're not protected, they 
they're forced to be educated in, in, in schools that aren't meeting their, their, their needs. It's, it's so much that, that we, we, our children need from us. And that's what keeps me motivated is, is our children having worked in youth services since I was 13 years old. This is the only life I know. And, and as a social worker and, and to me being a legislator is, is just being a social worker and, and you have more, you know, I guess access and, and, and access to, to authority and access to, to resources than you do as a, a, a regular social worker, but it, it's just social work. So being a legislator is just a, a, another way to serve and hopefully to, to continue to, to make a difference in, in the lives of, of our future generations so that our children can, can smile, our children can, can know what it feels like to, to just walk throughout your community without the fear of, of violence to go to the playground and, 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 and just be children to, to go to school without carrying adult problems in your book bag, just, just to go and, and live life, to live life and to, to not have to worry about how, how your life and, and how your daily existence is touched by trauma every day. To, to change that, to, to work, to, to give our children, not that any childhood is perfect, but just to change some of these, these miscues, to change some of these challenges into opportunities for our children, that's what keeps me motivated. I'd like to take this time to introduce our Congresswoman Lisa Blunt Rochester to Whip Count. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Very excited. Yes. So this episode, we're just dedicating it to all the wonderful things that we know and get to discuss every year, especially during the month of February, which is Black History Month. And I'd like to uh, just start off by asking you, what does this month mean to you? Well, you know, first of all, I, I have to say that um, for me, celebrate, celebrating Black history is something that I do all year round. Um, but I think what's so special about February and about it being designated as Black History Month is that it is a time for us to be intentional in our reflection. And so, you know, as I think about it, um, I think about all of the rich culture, all of the inventions and work and achievements but I also think about, you know, the struggle and, um, and, and where we've come from. And so when I think of Black History Month, there are two things I, I kind of use it for in my mind. One is to pause and reflect. And then the second thing is to recharge and, 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 and act. You know, to me, looking back on the past gives you the opportunity to say, you know what, we made it through that or gives you the opportunity to say, you know what, that person inspired me. So I use it as also an opportunity to recharge my battery to action. I love it. I love it. So who are some of the unsung heroes you like to honor and, and just share with our audience? Yeah, you know, there are so many incredible um, individuals that, that we can and do honor. But um, this year in particular, it's been special for me because um, one of the individuals I, I'm really focused on is Marianne Shad Carey, yes. um, who many people are getting to know more and more, who was an activist, a journalist, a teacher, a lawyer, and a suffragist. 
and um, and she was born right here in Delaware. And you know, the, the what is so special for me as well is that um, I can announce on your show that um, we actually passed legislation, bipartisan legislation, to name. Uh, the Wilmington Post Office after her. And so I'm very excited about Marianne Shad Carey. Another individual, but part of a group of individuals, is our healthcare heroes. And if I think of the past, I think of a woman that I just recently found out about, okay. which is hard to believe, but her name is Rebecca Lee Crumpler. And Rebecca Lee Crumpler would become the first black woman doctor in the United States of America. You know, again, born in Delaware, uh, early 19th century, uh, around this close to the same time as Marianne Shad Carey. And, and these two women were trailblazers. And so I, I, I am reflecting on them for the past. But then in this current present moment, there are so many incredible healthcare heroes. And mm-hmm. one of them is a good friend of mine that I, I just think deserves so much attention and, and praise. And that's Dr. Joan Coker, yes. who is, uh, you know, just a, a community advocate. She's served on, you know, boards like Delaware State University. But what, why she's so special to me this year is her efforts to make sure that Delawareans and particularly Delawareans of color, are vaccinated from this COVID-19 pandemic. So we salute all of our healthcare heroes, um, but I just want to give a special shout out to both the past and the present, and I know there are some more coming in the future. I am so thankful that you mentioned those three names. Now, one, I was completely unfamiliar with, Miss Crumpler, so I will go back and research her. I am very familiar with Marianne Shad Carey because uh, she is a, a, a journalist, and I, so am I. And the National Coalition of 100 Black Women actually have a program named after her, as well as our Correct. very own former <laughs> Senator Margaret Rose Henry. So thank you for bringing that up. And, of course, who doesn't know Dr. Joan Coker? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So tell us, uh, how does it feel to be the first African-American woman to represent Delaware in Congress? Well, first of all, it is a an enormous honor. Um, you know, I remember back to uh, running for office and just, you know, when something has never been done before, um, you know, you look to try to find, you know, ways to, to do it. And, you know, some of the things that I had to do were different and, and, and non-traditional, but it was for such an incredible cause. And I, I I, I will tell you the honor of it, um, but also the responsibility of it. I know that I represent so many people and I want to represent well. And so, um, you know, when, when I was running and even when I was elected and, and, you know, people reached out and said, oh, you're now the first woman to represent Delaware in Congress. You're now the first black person to represent Delaware in Congress. What does it feel like? And I never really thought about what it felt like, because to me, it was just you do the work, mm-hmm. you do the work. And, and I always say that, like, you know, that, that I'm sure Harriet Tubman wasn't, you know, if she had a camera, she wasn't stopping on the Underground Railroad to take a selfie. She was doing the work. Yes. But, but I also feel it is important to, to acknowledge that, that, you know, it's, it is important and it is special and I am so grateful. And I 
don't take it lightly. I carry the responsibility with me. And I think about even my ancestors and my grandmothers in particular, who would be smiling. I know they're smiling from heaven yeah. um, at this moment, but I also hope that it just inspires, you know, not just kids, but people. I was a widow. I became widowed and it was uh, you know, I was over 50. I had never been in a debate before in my life or raised that kind of money. And I hope it's an inspiration to people to continue to pursue your dreams and your calling on your life. You took the words right out of my mouth. Your calling. This is something you never planned for, but you have always been passionate about public service. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's interesting because... I've been in public service in Delaware for over 30 years, you know, as Secretary of Labor and, and, you know, worked at Health and Social Services and Urban League CEO. And, you know, I've had these different opportunities, but I never ran for office. And why so special? And that's why even for the, you know, the House Caucus, I mean, you know, I understand that it's a different, um, it's a different responsibility and it's a different level of effort um to run and you're representing the people and so it it uh it, it truly is uh you know it wasn't something that maybe at six years old i planned um but i will tell you even throughout my life there were different times i thought about doing it and then i started thinking about all the reasons i couldn't the self-talk sometimes can be the thing that sabotages us. And so we have to talk positive even to ourselves about what we're capable of and what we can do. I felt in that moment when I decided to run that I could contribute, but I also felt that there was there was a need at that time. And uh, I'm so glad. I mean, the focus on healthcare, the focus on jobs, the focus on bringing people together. I, got a, I, I get an opportunity to do that every day. Speaking of self-talk, it's so important to stress positive self-talk to our young people today, especially as we celebrate our vice president, a black woman, a woman of color, Vice President Kamala Harris. Now, you were in D.C. at the inauguration. Tell us what it was like to witness her take oath. Well, first of all, let me just say um, I, I have to give, you know, such uh, praise and credit to Joe Biden, our president, and uh, Delaware, mm-hmm. you know, Delaware's own, um, because he had the vision and the foresight to um, want to pick someone as his running mate that represented America and that had the qualifications and that, in his words, um, were simpatico to him. And so, you know, I first want to just say thank you to Joe Biden for this historic pick. Um, Secondly, as you know, I had the opportunity to be one of four people to serve on the VP Selection Committee. And so to be able to see these incredible women um, present themselves and share their stories and share their triumphs and trials, um, you know, and their vision in being Joe Biden's partner was an honor as well. And Kamala Harris just rose to the top. I mean, you know, from her experience professionally, as well as her lived experience, um, both as, you know, uh, she is now the first Indian American, as well as African American, as well as woman um, to be 
the vice president. And so to just be a part of that, that in, in and of itself was historic. But then on the day, I'll tell you the day that re- when it really hit me, it wasn't necessarily the, the, the you know, the, the election day. It was during the national, the Democratic National Convention where, you know, where she said that she accepted, I accept your nomination as vice president of the United States. I mean, I could just feel like this overwhelming joy and in that moment. And, uh, and then to be at the inauguration um, where I got to give a shout out to Dr. Tony Allen from Delaware State University, who was the CEO of the Presidential Inaugural Committee, and I was on the inaugural committee, um, to be there and witness her raising her hand. To me, it just was a moment, not just for the history books, but for for those kids, boys and girls around the world. It was such a beautiful moment. It was just an incredible moment. And I I have to tell you, I thought about, uh, as I was cleaning out my pocketbook, changing pocketbooks to go to the inauguration that morning, I found a card that my dad, he had a business card with his name and stuff on the one side, which dad mm-hmm. is retired. I, I don't know why he needs business cards, but that's another story. <laughs> but, but, but dad had, he had written on the back of one of his business cards, you become what you see unless you see what you want to become. Oh. And that was it. I mean, that was that moment where so many people could see what they want to become. Okay. So last question. I know we are, 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 are against the clock right now. What would you like to share with the young people who are listening about black history? You shared all of these wonderful stories. I love the quote from your father and uh, what, what would you want people to take from this? And And maybe even people who are, in their forties, in their midlife. Well, I don't want to say midlife, but, <laughs> but you know, who yeah, are really, older and looking for something. And, and you just, you just made me way over the hill, but go ahead. No, no, no. I, well, I'm in my forties. That's why I said, wait a minute. No, no, not yet. <laughs> but yeah. What would you like to say to young folks and just people of all different ages about pressing forward? Take this month to pause and reflect on the important legacy that, you know, African-Americans have meant to this country. Secondly, we're in a pandemic and we have had a year of people having challenges, their lives, their livelihoods. Um, Stay encouraged. That would be another message. And then we also have been in a year of really looking at ourselves in the mirror as it pertains to race and equity and justice. And so, as I said in the beginning, pause and reflect, but also recharge and get into action. Use this time to, you know, inspire yourself for the work that is yet still to be done. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash DE House Dems, on Twitter at DE House Dems, on Instagram also at DE House Dems. More episodes are coming, so make sure you're subscribed.